Welcome to the My Money, My Lifestyle podcast, where we discuss all things money, because whether or not we like it, money matters. Now, in this podcast, we mostly focus on what to do with our money, but money is a lot more than just rands and cents. And in fact, it's very emotional. And our relationship with money could actually be our greatest downfall. I want to share a quote from future strategist and best-selling author, John Sinai, who says that, so many of us are bonded to our idea of wealth, even though it isn't working for us or the planet because of the very nature of our relationship with money. We expect money to fulfill our fantasies, calm our fears, ease our pain, and send us soaring to fleeting heights of gratification. In fact, we are programmed to think that most of our wants and desires are met by money. We buy everything from hope to happiness. We no longer live life, we consume it. I think that sums up so well the consumerist world we live in. So I'm delighted to have John on the podcast today to tell us a little bit more about how to improve our relationship with money. So welcome, John. Thank you very much for joining us. My absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to this discussion. And I mean, let's kick off with that, right? I, that quote resonated with me so much, John. I was like, this is so true. We link our happiness with money. And money, we give such importance to money that we're prepared to put it above everything. We put it above our health, above our relationships. Why? Why is it that we've got ourselves into this place? Because we're not happy in this place. I think it's a huge question. And it's funny because no matter how much money you make, uh, you don't actually find that happiness. You find it for a fleeting moment. And then you go back into the sort of anxiousness of not having enough or needing more. I think if we break it down into multiple layers, the first one is the world's economic system is built on debt. And we've somehow bought into the idea that we need to borrow money to fulfill some sort of egotistical desires based on what we feel other people are judging us on. And in fact, all we're doing is projecting the judgments onto reality because that's how we judge other people. So the biggest skill we can do is actually stop our own judgment because the minute we do that, we stop feeling judged based on financial income or financial celebration. That's the first thing. The second thing is there's a great saying that says, your actions are so loud, I can't hear a word you're saying. And what we did was unfortunately learn a scarcity mindset from our parents who come from the industrial revolution, which comes from the idea of scarcity and efficiency over everything else. We have to go through a process of unlearning and really understanding that we don't live in a scarce world anymore. We live in a digitally abundant world. And that shift in itself gets us to realize how we close ourselves down to the amount of money we could actually bring into our lives rather than thinking about it in a salary form or a local or national South African form, we need to be thinking like global players. And the minute we do that, we open up the ability for us to even think about bringing more money in based on unlearning and relearning what this new world is about. But the truth is we're in transition, right? So we're in this very massive human transition from the old world to this new digital dynamic quantum world. And it's in this process that even the question of our relationship with money is coming up. This never even used to be a question, right? It was just the way it was. And that's all you were limited to earning based on your job, your qualification, your family, your color, your gender, and you were blocked in, right? 
all of a sudden, all of these things don't make any sense anymore. We don't have borders anymore. We can speak to anybody around the world. Gender fluidity is now a big thing. Um, your degree doesn't mean anything. Your ability to solve problems on scale is the only thing that means anything, plus your relationship with money. Because you must also remember that you could be working really hard and be very smart, but have a terrible relationship with money. And so really, it's not about the outwardly success story. It's about the inwardly success story. And I'll end off the section by saying this. The wealthiest man is not the one who has the most, but the one who needs the least. And it's in that process of identifying ourselves for who we are rather than what we own and breaking down that judgment that will release us from this ridiculous notion that we're chasing the elusive, ever elusive goal of more and we never arrive. John, I absolutely love what you've just said. And I, and I, I had to laugh a little bit when you said, you know, we, we, we judge other people based on our own value system. And I was having this discussion yesterday with somebody about cars. And she was saying, why is it that we feel like we have to drive a 600,000 rand car? This is, what is this doing to us? And she's speaking as someone who landed up in that belief. And she said she's learned to let go of, of those. And, you know, it's all good and well if a 600,000 rand car is spare change. But if you are now getting yourself into huge financial difficulty, destroying every other goal um, that you really want to achieve in life, all because of the car you drive. And I realized that it's, it's a reflection thing, isn't it? It's like, oh, I, I have only arrived. I think someone's only arrived when they drive that yeah. car. Therefore, I've arrived when I drive that car. So we actually need to start with that original conversation of well, who do I admire? Maybe we need to change mm, our, our... And why? Yeah. And, why? and why do we admire them? Yeah, exactly. And I you know, I stopped driving a car four years ago and I made a conscious decision that I want to be an essentialist. And essentialist is different to minimalist. An essentialist or essentialism forces you to think about the four or five things that are the most important to you. And then you drive yourself into those four or five pockets and that's it. You essentially focus on your luxury pockets in those sections and everything else is a minimalist idea. So I don't own property on purpose. I don't own a car on purpose. I only want fluidity, digital assets, and the ability to be free. Those are my priority value systems. Mm -hmm. And so I ride a bicycle. I live between Dubai, London, and Cape Town. And in every city, I have a bicycle. And that is my mode of transport with Uber. I love it. I think that goes against almost absolutely everything anyone I speak to does because everyone wants to buy more property. <laughs> Yeah. John, you know what I love is that I'm a little bit with you on property. I, I do own my home. Um, but I, I look at property as this thing that's going to weigh me down um, as an investment. And, and this is going to probably do a few people's heads in listening to this podcast because so many people say, buy a property, rent it out, generate an income. And I'm like, do you know how stuck you are with property? If you want to sell it, everyone looks at the share market and they say, oh, Bitcoin or whatever you want to look at. And you're saying, oh, look at the volatility. Well, Every single day, your house is worth zero unless there's a buyer. Um, and if we had to price it every single day, it would probably show like massive volatility. And let, then let me tell you, yeah. and then you have maintenance issues. And yeah. let, let, let me tell you what it is. I think it's our addiction to certainty and safety. We have this ridiculous notion that when we own property, we're safe and we have a physical asset we can touch. But that is an old school way of thinking. One, there is no certainty in any of our future projections. We live in a, the most uncertain time known to humankind. Like, we, like a lot of people ask me, what is the future of education? 
And the answer is, how can you answer that when you don't know what the world will look like in 10 years? You can't actually teach anybody any specific skill set. Oh, not on skill set, subject set. But you can teach them a skill set of adaptability, flexibility, and optimism. That's the only thing you can actually teach. The second thing we must realize is that by practicing addiction to certainty, we let go of the ability to reimagine. Our imagination of what's possible is being almost shut down because of our addiction to certainty and being doing things our parents did. And the things our parents did was buy property, work really hard, make sure you pay it off so that you can have some sort of asset when you're living into your future. And that doesn't work anymore in this world that we're in right now. The world today is all about experiences. It's about expressing, experiencing, connecting, collaborating, and moving into the world and adding value to the world. So really have to start thinking more globally and less locally. And I think more people are doing that, you know, on a grander scale. Look, I'm, I'm, I'm probably not quite where you are. Um, I, I think I still do like to have my assets. My assets are a little bit more fluid than property. Um, so maybe we, there was, <laughs> it's a different personality type as well. I think you, you sure. do need to look at that. And you need to say, as long as you've got a plan, and I love the idea of your essentials. So, you know, what is your value system? What is it that you want? And I can assure you that, you know, you'll probably find that spending 10 grand a month repaying a car is probably not on your list of value systems. Um, mm. You know, and you need to start looking and saying, what is your money doing for you? And I always love this idea of money as an energy source. And I think you talk about this as well in money frequency. And I, I really believe this, John. I, I see people's attitudes towards money gives them money comes or it disappears. Literally, and I, I, I really believe that on, on a real fundamental level that when I see people who have a plan for their money, who, who know what they want, have a value system, who allocate their money according to their value systems, they have abundance. When I see people who live either with fear, but also with um, who are spendthrifts, who, who, who say, I don't like money, I don't um, want to worry about money, I, you know, I should almost show a disrespect for money in some sense, I find that they struggle. Um, they're always wondering what, where to get money and they become jealous and they're resentful, especially jealous, resentful people often don't have money. And I don't know if it's that they don't have money, they're jealous and resentful, if their jealousy and resentment creates the lack of money. And I do think so. I mean, so maybe talk, I mean, you talk about this, this money frequency. When I first saw that comment, I thought you meant how frequently do you get money? But what you meant was the wave, the frequency wave. And that kind of was like, aha, for me. Um, and maybe, yeah, maybe, let's elaborate a little bit on, on money as energy. So um, firstly, we what we see is people that have created an identity linked to lack. And those are the people that feel better in breaking down anybody who's got more money than them and being disrespectful to money because what it does, it confirms their identity. And that identity was picked up, unfortunately, from their parents. And so they'll most probably be identical to the way their parents. And some people say money makes money. No, it doesn't. Attitude makes money. And so if your parents had money and you grew up in money, you just have a frequency that says, I expect money, I focus on money, I have a money relationship, right? So it's identity-based and we don't even realize that. That's why when somebody makes a lot of money, they can't stop spending it because they're scared to now not link to their old identity. So it, it, it's really about fixing your memories, your trauma, to be releasing yourself of old patterns to pick up new patterns. Mm. So the money frequency story is very much linked to something called the joy of money. And it's a webinar I did years ago, but it impacted me in such a profound way that I don't have any money issues anymore just based on this one webinar that I did. 
And what she taught me was this idea of joy of money. So if I ask you what joy is, you must probably say to me, well, it's happiness, kind of, you know. But it's much deeper than that. It's a very layered process as far as joy is concerned. Well, according to her webinar. What she said joy was, was made up of three emotions. The first one is excitement. The second one is ease. And the third one is love. And what she says is that if you're not excited about making more money, if you're not at ease that more money is coming into your life, and if you don't actually love money, why do you think it should spend any time with you? And if you think about the exact opposite emotions around money, if you're not excited, you're depressed that no money is coming in. If you're not at ease, you're anxious that no money is coming in. And if you don't love money, you hate people with money. And so now what has happened is that most people sit in the trio of anxiousness, depression, and hatred or fear, and then expect money just to arrive to them. So the emotional frequency is one of treating a friend who you're very excited to see, you have total ease when they come and go, and you love them. Now, if you do that with any aspect of your life, you must really have a very seamless and calm relationship with that aspect of your life. Some people have it in their social lives. Some people have it with their bodies. Some people have it with their careers. And other times they don't have that frequency with other things in their lives. And so anytime you're having a lack of money, of relationships, or whatever it may be, you have to practice the process of being an excitement, ease, and love. Now, another one that we see a lot on social media is women complaining whether all, all the good men are. Now, when women do that, you immediately realize that they're on the frequency of depression, that there's no good men out there, anxious that they'll never be in a relationship, and hate anybody in a relationship because they expect it to break down sometime soon. And so just by making that statement, where are all the good men out there, they are saying exactly the same thing of money so hard to make or things are expensive. And so just in your language, you don't realize that you're propelling things away from you rather than attracting them to you. And if we just come down to language quickly, if we realize that language is not a commentary of your life, but the creation of your life. And if you keep commenting that the airport is a horrible, terrible, busy place and my suitcase always gets lost, your brain will look for ways to confirm that story to yourself. And so if you think back to school and the very first thing that you remember to do at school was to spell. Now, if you take the word spell out of English and put it into magic, what are you doing? You're creating spells every time you talk. The second thing you learn how to do at school is to build sentences. So every time you speak, you sentence yourself to the life you live based on the magic spells you've chosen to choose. So this frequency is both an internal dialogue, an emotional state, and the language you use. And I love it, John, because, I mean, this is really talks to abundance. And, uh, you know, when I speak to some abundance coaches and people who work with the concept of abundance, it's about celebrating your salary coming in, celebrating any money you have. Just, oh, wow, I have money. Not, I don't have enough. I have money. Look, this is money. Maybe it's 100 rand, but it's 100 rand. Um, and then what we don't, shouldn't do then is say, how can I quickly spend this 100 rand and turn it into a, you know, a McDonald's burger or something? It's like, how does this, how do I show this 100 rand that I'd like more 100 rands to come? <laughs> so I think that is, that is the psychology of it. And, and, and you talk about that. You talk about, um, you know, the, the decisions that you need to make or the, the, I think you talk about the giving weight when uh, you know you're making an emotive decision, uh, financial intention, financial cadence, financial container. So maybe I let think me, that let, talks. To let you. me go through those. Mm. Yeah, let me go through those because um, I do a, I do a masterclass called Your Money in Motion, and I and I break down the two days that I do it in in one being the frequency day and one being the intentionality day. 
So if I ask you this, Maya, I remember when we used to go on lots of holidays when before COVID. And if let's say you, you were going to Greece, before you and your husband were going to Greece, you would know exactly what flight to be catching, exactly what time you had to be at the airport, exactly what passport you needed and visa, you know, where the transport was picking you up from the airport, what hotel you were staying in in Athens, which transfer you were getting to the islands, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The level of clarity you have on your holiday, most people don't have with their money. Hmm. So what they do is imagine going to an airport and just catching any flight and not being packed correctly and not having the passport and not having the visa, you will complain bitterly about that holiday that never happened. So the level of clarity that I feel that's missing around money is all about intention, cadence, and container. Now, intention is how much do you want to make? Like, what is the number that you are impressing into your brain? Now, that number can't be a billion dollars tomorrow. It's got to be a number that's just out of your comfort zone. So if you're making 40,000 rand a month, you want to make 50,000 rand a month, stretch yourself a little bit and keep that money top of that number top of mind. Every time you go into a meeting, every time you send a mail, every time you're doing anything, to remind yourself that you're doing this for that 50,000 rand number that you are looking for to come into your reality. You don't have to know where it's coming from. You know, it comes from, you know, surprising places. The second thing is cadence. How often do you want to make that money? So do you want to make it once a month, once a week, once a year? You have to give it some sort of energy and clarity. Remember, we're catching a flight to Greece. You can't be like nilly-willy about what time you're arriving at the airport. And the third thing, which I think is one of the most important things, is the container. One, is your container big enough to hold the money you want? And like I said, initially, our identity is sometimes linked to lack. So we think we want a million rand. The minute it comes into our account, we can't stop spending it because we don't feel comfortable with holding that much money. And that's like having a water uh, sieve that water goes through because it can't actually contain the money. And so you have to realize that in your mind's eye, when you put a million rand in your account, is your account suffocating or is your account happy and the million rand floating around in a very small piece of that bank account, huge reservoir and opportunity to hold more money. And plus that container is waterproof because no water can run out unless you let it run out. And so if you don't have intention, cadence, and container, it's like going to the airport and having no holiday booked and hoping that the holiday is going to work out great. And I think that is, you know, this exactly that we see lotto winners. I don't know, 90% of lotto winners have no money left after two years. And it is that I don't deserve this money. I yeah. There's so many negative money messages. If you inherit money, well, you know, there's this, this subconscious thing that I don't deserve this, so I'm going to just blow it. Mm. Um, and mm. we almost just don't. We fear money. Actually, we often fear having money as much as we do not having money. And there's all this emotional stuff instead of saying, it's just an energy. I, I welcome this energy into my life. Um, and it's a positive energy. And I think also, though, John, you know, you talk about that 50,000 number that you have in your head. And one of the things I think one also needs to find is that balance between, like, what is enough? And I want to ask you that question because you obviously have set up your life that um, you, there's certain joys that you want to have in your life. Now, you can sometimes be working really, of course, you can get work clever, but sometimes you also want to say, well, it's enough. I have enough and I'm going to spend time on things that may not be income generating because they add value to my life as well. So how do you, I want to ask you two questions. How do you find that balance? And secondly, what are your investments? Good questions. The first answer is not an answer of what number is enough, is that I prioritize what makes me happy throughout the day. 
And the, the, the answer there is whatever makes me excited is what I follow. Because remember, in a space of excitement, you're always creative, collaborative, energized, and innovative. And the money then looks after itself. It arrives when and how it should. And sometimes I make a lot of money and sometimes I make less money, but I'm not counting money as far as I am counting how I measure my day in a space of excitement. And it's funny, you know, um, in our game, when we were in similar games, you know, I'll get a call from Visa in, in Budapest that I spoke at four years ago and paid me a huge lump of money just for a five minute video. I had no idea when that was coming or how it was coming, but I was putting out excitement. I was putting out videos and content. That's all about being, being excited and creative. And I'm so like, I'm so juiced up about what I'm learning and what I'm sharing that people get excited about that and want to come to you with that sort of um, ability to have some of your energy with them. And they're willing to give money for that, right? So it's not a number that I figure out on. It's the way I measure my success and my happiness and joy throughout the day. And then allow that to take care of everything else. The second thing is my investments are all in, how do I put this? Um, I have accounts around the world. Like, like, let, me, let me say this. I was working with a money coach and she said, so what is your intention for the money that you're making? Uh, and she said, do you want to buy property? Do you want to you know, invest in this and that? I said, you know what? I actually just want freedom. So like, okay, so let's call your bank account freedom, the freedom account. So now what I have is I have three or four bank accounts around the world and my money is in hard currency in my freedom accounts. And I've got money across a whole bunch of cryptos and a whole bunch of shares on the New York Stock Exchange. And that's it. I want to be cash plugged. I want to now, if I pull the plug on not working, I don't want to work for the next 10 years. I want to have enough money to sustain my essentialist lifestyle which is not hugely extravagant, but it's comfortable. And I have all the things that I need around me um, and then allows me freedom. So my number one value is freedom. Mm. And it took me a while to figure that out because the minute I did figure it out, it made sense for me not to own property and not to own a car and have that level of freedom and also not to be in a relationship. You know, I've also decided that I don't want to be in a relationship. I'm quite happy being single. Um, and for the moment, that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm, I'm, Traveling when I can, obviously COVID has made it a lot harder um, and spending time doing what makes me most excited throughout the day. And I'm having a fantastic time with it. So, John, the hardest thing in the world is to know what you want, actually. Um, they say that particularly about women, I must say, which is why they struggle to find men because they don't know what they want. Um, so that is the that is it. I think it is about, and I know for me, when I've done a lot of this sort of work about what is it that I want, what do I want my next 10 years to look like? And it, that's actually not an easy thing to do. And I find that often we get, we replace what we actually want with what we think we should want. And that's often driven by social media. So you'll see a picture of somebody drinking champagne and at some fancy place or whatever, and you think, maybe that's what I want. But actually, you don't. Um, so it is, how did you do that work to find out what it was that was important to you? You said one key word there. You think you know what you want. You have to feel towards what you want, not think. Because thinking is logical. Feeling is emotional. And so it's an emotional resonance that you need to be going after. The physical attributes and resonances away from that emotional space will look after themselves. But for me, it's about how do I find excitement and joy in my next decision? And if that next decision means I want to go swim in the ocean 
or I want to write poetry, or I want to talk to you, or I want to go for a lunch somewhere. That's the golden thread that I follow. I decided this about four years ago. I decided that I only want to do things that make me excited. I don't want to do anything that doesn't make me excited. I don't want to feel forced to do anything I don't want to do. So I outsource everything I don't want to do. And I only follow my golden thread of what makes me most excited because we don't realize that it's the emotion of excitement that gets us to access our genius. And when we get to access our genius, everything else becomes seamless. And all of us have a pocket of genius above our heads, every single one of us. But what we do is we, we have never been taught how to access curiosity, how to prioritize excitement. And so what we do is we follow logical steps of what we think we should be doing. And that's where the biggest problem is. This is an emotional decision, not a logical decision, because sometimes my decisions don't make logical sense, but they make emotional sense. And for me, that's a priority. Many other people are very scared of accessing their emotions because they have trauma there and they don't feel they're safe there. Mm -hmm. And some people are highly intelligent in their IQ and they find their identity in thinking and letting go of that is a scary place. But remember one thing, that the world we come from in the world of agricultural times, life was about brawn and understanding the seasons. When we went into industrial times, life became about intelligence and logical thinking. We are now moving into quantum digital times where life will become about intuition, not so much about logic and brawn. And so we're evolving. And again, it's a transition that people are struggling with because everything we've ever been taught is logical, um, uh, state, uh, certainty, and these sort of things. This is what the whole world taught us. And now we're moving into a world that's not safe, that's totally uncertain, and requires a process of intuition rather than logic. And we're not coping as, a, as people. We're not coping with uncertainty. I mean, I see that. I see that in the anger, the hatred that's rising, things like COVID, all that, this uncertainty. We can't cope with it. We, we're just not programmed for this level of uncertainty. And, and I suppose that's going to be a big digging down into ourselves. Um, to, to understand ourselves is very, very key. But I, John, I wanted to, to end off with, with asking you, this is a, something that's very real. And the very real thing is that there are a lot of people losing their jobs at the moment. And I come across people who, who move into this massive depression. It's like they, they value, their entire life has been, their value system or the way they value themselves is I have a job, I earn an income. This has been taken away from me and they don't always able to get up again. How, what would you say to someone listening to this podcast who's lost their job or has a family member or a loved one who's lost their job to use what some of the things that you've spoken about just to get that mindset right? couple of things. One, don't expect it to happen overnight. It's emotional fitness. Just like if you had to start running or cycling, the first few are very tough. Your lungs are burning. You're not fit. It takes you months to become fit. And so is the same thing with emotional fitness. You have to practice this emotional state of excitement, ease, and love day and night as often as you can to change your frequency. You know, you don't do it overnight. So don't try it for one week. It's not working. You're like, where's the money? I'm like angry now. I don't want to run. So you have to practice this over a period of time. It took me a couple of years to really get to fine tune the frequency. Think about it like a radio station, right? You've got to slowly move that dial to start accessing a different radio station, a different frequency. The second thing is, remember that the world we come from, again, is a world that created surplus types of jobs and surplus types of degrees. In other words, we live in a surplus society. What's happened over the last 150 years is that people have been educated in similar courses, doing similar jobs in similar organizations, creating similar product and similar services for similar consumers. 
the whole world has become commoditized. So the idea of having a degree and getting a job is of the old world. The new world requires us all to become entrepreneurs. Because if we think about the world pre-industrial times, the world was full of millions and millions and millions of micro-entrepreneurs. Because every village and town had its own butcher, baker, and candlestick maker. There was no industrialization. There was no jobs on a grand scale. And so now we're reverting back to a world of micro-entrepreneurship, except now what you have is the internet to proliferate and sell your passion to anybody around the world. In fact, it's called the passion economy. Many, many people are making lots and lots of money about it because you can find, look, all you have to do from the 6 billion people connected to the internet, you have to have 0.000001% of them giving you $1 a month and you can be living large. The question is, why are you still waiting for an organization to give you a job? Why are you not creating something online? And if you think you don't know what to do, one, start watching YouTube. And then follow the golden thread of what makes you most excited. When you're watching a YouTube clip of education of some sorts, and you love it, and you can't get enough of it, and you dive deeper into it, guess what? You've just found your passion. And that means you can start reverse engineering it to start creating something based on your passion and then create a small talk and then create a little course and then create a little YouTube channel and then create a little product placement. And then and you can just evolve and evolve. And then all of a sudden you've created this online business where it gives you total flexibility, but based on your passion and you're not now caught up by any organization saying, well, now you've got a job and now you don't. Mm-hmm. And so it's really getting out of that victim mindset and saying, well, oh, I studied and now I don't have a job. Look, welcome to the new world. This is a brand new digital, quantum, hyperdynamic world that no company can guarantee you a job. Those days are gone. No standard bank, no liberty, nobody can guarantee a job because those companies themselves don't know if they're going to be here in 10 years. I mean, that whole level of certainty is gone. The only thing you can manage is your emotional fitness. And if you, the sooner you start with that process, the sooner you start into the, start to understand that we're in the era of forced entrepreneurship, the quicker you become a victor the quicker you become more responsible for the how you show up and how you add value to the world. So congratulations that you got fired. You were in some crappy job anyway, and now you can start creating something that's much better, gives you more flexibility, gives you more passion time, and you can start earning dollars and euros and pounds. These things are all available to all of us. We just have to think a bit more laterally and really start to expose ourselves to what the digital revolution is all about. I think, and, and, you know, I do see you get some people who, and in fact, I was speaking to somebody recently who she's 30 years old, got retrenched. She was in the airline industry, got retrenched. And she said, Maya, I got a severance package that is allowing me time to actually reinvent myself. And I think she took it as a completely different, on a different way. She looked at it. And I mean, even if you're 50, 55, you're not going to be retiring, let's be honest, at 60. No one is. You, this is an opportunity for you to start to reinvent yourself. And I think it is, it's easy to say that, and I do know that, and I do know when you've been retrenched, it's an incredibly big blow. Breathe, take the time to get over that, but you do have to replace it with positive thinking because that's the answer. It's not about, and I promise you, even if you are going and you do get another job, in the normal sense of the word, if you walk into, into an interview with a negative depressed attitude you're less likely to get the job than if you walk in with a pumped up excited stop going for an interview don't go for another interview start something of your own like don't don't keep going down that route because guess what that next company won't also guarantee you anything yeah and so you could fall back into that same trap and also i want us to stop saying retirement the term has been replaced with never timement never timement never timement this is just a process that if we are not doing something we're passionate about 
My God, is the future dark and miserable? If you're doing something you're passionate about and you're always energized by it and you're selling that and you're growing that online by yourself, connecting in with other sort of operators that can help you do the things you don't want to do from around the world, you don't want to stop working. Why would you want to stop working? It's so much joy and so much fun. You got engaging on such a deep level. You're learning more every day. So really stop looking for jobs and start figuring out what you're passionate about and start creating business models around that. Well, there you are. That's from uh, from John Sinai. Um, I keep saying your name wrong, so you better say it correctly for me. John? John Sinai. Sinai. That's okay. Sinai. <laughs> Sinai. I will get it right. I keep I keep pronouncing it Sinai, so I've had to keep changing it every time I'm I'm, no I'm not said. It's, it's a tough one. You know, it's Persian, right? So the 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 the, oh, the tr- translation into English having an S A N E I. I mean, how the hell are you supposed to say that? It, it oh. is a it's a it's a funny one, you know. So no offense taken. Oh, good because I don't worry. I, I I'm used to being called Mayor and all sorts of things as well. So um, it's these names that our parents give us. They don't think you know the impact's going to have on our. Yeah, life. well, look back then. Back then, who knew anything about what's going on today? So yeah, exactly. all good. Uh, all good. <laughs> well, John, thank you so much. And of course, you can also check uh, John out. He's got a whole YouTube channel. He's uh, written some some great books. I have actually attended, by the way, not that you would know. I've attended one of your talks. Um, oh, so yeah, definitely, okay. if you're wanting to get a little bit more. Um, input from john just uh, I'll, I'll put the link up for your your youtube channel Great, thank well. you so much super thank thanks john thank you so much maya you've been listening to the my money my lifestyle podcast featuring the contributors of the city press personal finance pages